Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Liquid bleach, liquid bleach, Clorox makes clothes bright. But what about these cloudy wine glasses? Add glass cleaner to my cart. Adding Clorox disinfecting bleach to your cart. What? No, for glassware. Clorox can also make glassware sparkle, keep flowers fresh, and remove chocolate, wine, all your usual stains. Rude. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. This episode is completely different than all the other ones, which have taken it one album after another album then another album and just focused on that specifically this is sort of like a a pause in the episodic podcast to just kind of take like a bird's eye view of all of jackson brown's music and talk in a way that's kind of fun about him um i think for two reasons this is a good time to do it um things get pretty different after holdout like holdout is already teasing that like things are going to get different we're in a new decade but after this, you get Lawyers in Love, and it is, you're fully in the 80s for the next three albums, um, subject matter-wise, sonically, everything. Um, there's also a practical reason. I recorded a good amount of those first interviews before I ever launched it, and now we've caught up to the part where I didn't have them pre-recorded, so I'm, I'm doing a few interviews over the next couple of weeks, and that way, the process of editing and putting them out each week is more manageable, and so... We're taking this week to just have this conversation, and then we'll pick back up with Lawyers in Love the week after that. And the person I have here to talk about it is Ryan Page, who you may know from the second episode about Forever Man. How's it going, Ryan? Good. Thanks for having me back. I think I speak for all of the podcast guests when I say that you are a very generous host. Ah, oh, thanks. And I also want to take this moment to be um, the fact checker for the podcast there's nothing like listening to yourself on a podcast to like make remind you of all the points that you wanted to make and then forgot. Um, but I've listened to all the podcasts and there's only one factually inaccurate thing that has been said on all of the podcasts. <laughs> Magritte, the Belgian surrealist, is a man, not a woman. <laughs> I mean, I I have learned that and a couple people told me that and I 
All right, here's here's my response to it. Is that the name Renee and Magritte both sound like female names. I know they're they're from other places. And I think that it adds a certain level of innocence and charm to how I came about that album cover. That's how oblivious I was. How's that? I think that's why it's funny to me. It's because it, it seems like something I would have done. It seems like a very obvious out of context. I just loved your story though about how you were you were in Italy, right? You were you were at like a museum in Italy. I'll never forget because it was like a small little free museum I could walk into called the Peggy Guggenheim Collection. I'll just always remember that. That's that I I just I I wanted to get on record and and <laughs> have have that corrected as people um who are fans of Magritte and who are also Belgian, i.e. me. Um I just could not let that stand. Uh, I facts are facts, and I'm glad that you have um, allowed us to fact check it on the podcast. And 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 actually, what people brought up to me, I own almost. I think I own every album that we've talked about here on vinyl, but I don't own Late for the Sky on record, which is weird. I think I just haven't happened upon it. Maybe it's less likely to end up in like used bins and stuff like that. But there's a thing on the back of the album that says like cover art inspired by. Magritte if it's all reet or I, I'm I'm gonna need to be fact checked again because that's not exactly what it says, but there's a hint on the back of the um album that that sort of alludes to the fact that it's inspired by Magritte. That's funny. I was just listening or I just did some research and was reading an article from Rolling Stone about how apparently on the back of Late for the Sky there was a line that said you could write the publisher to request a copy of the lyrics because the lyrics aren't printed on the album, except that that never happened. No one ever got sent lyrics. And this was like a 40 years later, Rolling Stone following up with Jackson Brown being like, hey, what happened to those lyrics? And he was sort of like, yeah, my bad. (laughs) That's amazing to even like think about offering that to people. Well, apparently what happened was that he went to his record company, Warner Brothers, and was like, I want to print the lyrics on the album. They said, no, people don't do that anymore. And he's like, well, what if um, people could request them? And he's like, oh, yeah, they could write the publisher. Jackson Brown not realizing at the time that Warner Brothers was not the publisher. And the publisher, people would write them and they'd be like, no, we're not going to spend whatever, 40 cents on a stamp and a printed sheet of lyrics for every person that writes us. No, we're not doing that. Okay, quick fact check on uh, Ryan here. Warner Brothers actually was not the record label. That was Asylum. Warner Brothers was the publisher, and I just felt like I needed to uh, get the facts straight on this. By the way, this episode will have far fewer edits and music fade-ins than the previous ones. Um, it's a little more of a free-form ramble with a buddy. Back to the podcast. Um, okay, so the way we're gonna do, the way we're gonna approach this one. Ryan and I are friends. We're just going to talk a little bit about Jackson Brown, as we've done many times before. We made a few little categories for ourselves to kind of like serve as tent poles for this conversation. And there, it's like music is the kind of thing you listen to and you like it the way you like it. So the idea of like uh, scoring it category by category is not necessarily what you probably should do, but it's what we're going to do, and it's uh, an enjoyable thing to do. I think for conversation starters, it's there's no right or wrong. Exactly. All right. So where we're going to start is our favorite David Lindley moment on any Jackson Brown album. I'm going to let, I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you go first. First runner up would be his fiddle playing on Before the Deluge. 
I feel like his fiddle playing is kind of underrated in the universe of Jackson Brown. Um, the coda on these days, the the end of the song solo. Yeah, he goes he goes off there. Um, but I'm I'm just gonna go with the entire song "Late for the Sky." I was probably my first introduction to David Lindley. It's still like, you know, I I was trying to think of something more. With a lot of these, I, I tried to think of maybe not obvious ones or di- dig a little bit deeper. And and when I was thinking about it, I just every every time I just come back to to late for the sky, over and over again. It's so funny that you say that because mine. I did the same thing. I went I went searching. I know there's so much to choose from, and what I have typed on my little notes says late for the sky, comma intro solo whole song. <laughs> so like it's exactly that it's like it is it it the way it guides you into that song which is guiding you into an album where he's just amazing across the whole entire album and like you said on fiddle as well but the solo is amazing and somber and he's just kind of there even when he's not doing the intro and the solo it's so good and like the tone it's just so good yeah, and, and I really was glad on the, the Late for the Sky podcast that Steven brought up that scene in Taxi Driver, because that's also one of my favorite scenes in any movie. And and the the scene when Travis is watching uh, the American Bandstand, it's it's not Jackson singing, really. It's Lindley solo. It's true. That's what's playing on the TV. That's the, the sort of emotional core of the song. Ugh. And yeah, when I when I describe it to Steven that I didn't know that song was going to be there when I watched Taxi Driver and already connected with the song, the vivid memory that I hear that like caught me off guard and blindsided me and sort of like knocked me back was that like you hear you hear Lindley sliding into it first and it's so good. Yeah, um, I also had um, Redneck Friend as being another favorite David Lindley moment. Yeah, he's he's ripping pretty hard on that. Um, all right. So now it's it's easy. Although I've really appreciated in some of these last episodes I've done, um, especially the running on empty one, how much attention I've given a lot of conversation to Lindley on this, and I like I'm obsessed with David Lindley. But the rest of the band is amazing. There's a lot of good music. There's a lot of good musical moments that aren't him and like you don't you don't associate this kind of music as like wow they're really shredding it up but like it's a lot of really good musical arrangements on those first six albums and so what's your favorite non-linley non-linley music moment so so i i have i have a, a pretty decent list here that i'll just sort of run through and i tried to stay away again from some obvious stuff i didn't list like any of Jackson's piano playing or, or anything like that. Cause it's just clearly consistently good. Um, but one of the things that I did um, realize, or I didn't know before, do you, you know the song, the road in the sky and it yep. sort of starts out with that rocking guitar. That's Jackson on electric guitar. That's playing the intro to that song and plays electric guitar throughout it. Didn't realize cool. that until I watched a live performance of it. Nice. So I'm going to go with that. Um, the guitar solo on Dr. My Eyes, which is Jesse Ed Davis. Um, 
who I also recently learned is was a very successful solo um, or session musician who was also one of the rare full-blooded Native Americans in the rock and roll scene. Um, the Congas yeah. also on Doctor My Eyes I really love. Um, just throw some good congas in there. The car engine sound on the end of the late show. It's, I think that's beautiful. I love that. And, and in a lot of situations, I think I could find that to be cheesy. I think mm-hmm. because it's taking me directly to the album cover. It's, it's, there's a reference on the album to the model of car. Like it feels tasteful in a way that I think could easily miss in the wrong done in the wrong way in the wrong spot. And then the, the organ intro on under the falling sky is also one of my favorite little musical details. Um, The harmony vocals on from silver Lake. I don't know if you want to sing that for us real quick. Um, I, I I can't, but when you can do we can harmonize with sort of um intersecting lines of singing right they're not singing it seems so hard to pull off but when it works it it really works for me and then my number one best non-lonely instrumental moment is definitely the electric jug on walking slow (laughs) you're on you're on you're on your own island with that one i Because I know you have called it out before as a didgeridoo. It's not a didgeridoo. It's a jug. I looked it up specifically. Oh man, that so that is a second fact check for the same album. Yeah, I thought I I thought it was a didgeridoo as well. No, it's a jug. No, my actual favorite non-lonely moment is the drum fill on "Running on Empty." I can still hear it in my head anytime I want to. It's it's just like. I've heard that song probably a thousand times, and every time I have to air drum that that drum solo little fill. Yeah. It has a good like, yeah, baby, we're still going on this thing. <laughs> it's good. I agree. Um, so what I something that I absolutely loved and have loved. I, I think it's something that wasn't a thing I latched onto really hard when I was younger. And so I've grown to appreciate it even more and I never burned myself out on it in any way is I've really come to enjoy the song under the fallen sky, top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And the solo and under the fallen sky is comes heavy with the congas. And it's just this really tight, clean solo that's like guitar solo. That's just very kind of staccato note. um, And with, with the like, percussion going and the congas and everything kind of moving it feels just really like uh spastic or something like it's just like almost nervous and it's so i that's i'm calling that my favorite non-lonely instrumental moment Yeah, 
Yeah, I know that part exactly. It really does. It feels like that moment when you're playing music with people and you really lock in on something, and it's like exciting, but it's also scary because you're sort of like, "All right, are we ever going to come out of this, or are we just going to keep hitting this beat for the next hour?" Yeah. Yeah, it really smacks of something that there's no way you you wrote that solo. You've played a version of it all the time. You've found your little grooves on it, but that thing's just coming out how it's coming out. Who knows whether that's the case? I don't know. It feels that way, and I think it's better for feeling that way. Uh, all right, now we're going to be moving from the music to some lyrics. What's the... Do you have a favorite set of lyrics? Like, this could be one line. This could be a full song this could be a stanza and and here how about i'll go first on this one yeah you go first on this one yeah i'll go first so the one that gets me i I just remember it it really like taking hold of me when i was younger and just there's certain stuff that you're just like how in the hell could you possibly write that like where where does that come from and so it's the the set of lines from something fine that goes the future hides and the past just slides and England lies between floating in a silver mist. So cold and so clean California's shaking like an angry child will who has asked for love and is unanswered still. He's like talking about geographic places. He's, he's describing them with their sort of like foggy, cold England uh, earthquake prone California. And that whole entire song, because like that whole song, the main place it name checks is Morocco. That whole song does this job of like telling, expressing feelings and telling stories through places, but very obliquely. And I'm, I've been obsessed with that song since the first time I heard it. And that set of lines is one that I just love. Yeah, that's such. There's so much imagery packed into just the uh, you know a stanza. Um, I have I have. Um, couple quick ones. One of my runners up was um from Redneck Friend. Daddy's in the den, shooting up the evening news. It's such a just little two line jab from Jackson Brown, but it feels like writing that you know in 1972 is um, really prophetic for <laughs> yeah. At least where my dad's at. I don't know if your dad's ever shooting up the evening news, but my dad definitely has a, a, a serious habit. I'm pretty sure that the I mean we're all on the internet and take so taking in our own version of of some of this stuff but the generation that precedes us and really Jackson Brown's generation uh that's a I think that's a fixture in their lives that's how they're consuming it. So my second runner up um it was from um for dancer and this kind of, this actually is is another fact check for for our original podcast which in our original podcast we had talked about the song um ready or not which is about a woman being pregnant and we talked about how i said something along the lines of well if my wife ever got pregnant again and sure sure enough she's pregnant again <laughs> it wasn't long after that podcast that um, she got pregnant. She got she got pregnant from that podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that podcast impregnated her. Um, one of the things that I really love about Jackson Brown is his lyrics can relate to you in a way when you've if you've never experienced them before. 
So I, I'm kind of like going at about this at a roundabout way, but indulge me for a second. So I'll give you a perfect example of Late for the Sky, which was um, the first Jackson Brown record that I ever had. I got it in college. My friend Justin gave me the vinyl record for it. Different Justin, um, but all the Justins in my life seem to play bass and love Jackson Brown. He bought me my first vinyl record player and gave me his own copy of Late for the Sky. And I just remember I, I was listening to Late for the Sky, the song, and laying on my floor and just crying to myself. And there's not very many songs that make me cry. And I got to tell you, Justin, when I'm listening to these lyrics about, you know, how long have I been sleeping? And I, I did not have a girlfriend. <laughs> I was not in a romantic <laughs> relationship. In fact, the the relationship, you know, at that time in my life, I think the longest relationship I had been in was like six months. And but I was feeling so much emotion from this song of something. If I'm being honest with myself, I never to this day have not really experienced. But his lyrics are so good and his songs are so timeless in their own way that it doesn't have to reflect their own life. And I feel the same way about For a Dancer. And the, the lyrics I picked were, Into a dancer you have grown, from a seed somebody else has thrown. Go on ahead and throw some seeds of your own. And, you know, I don't know what exactly Jackson's intent with this song was, but I always interpreted it as a song about a dad singing to his daughter and sort of sending her off into the world, which, again, I know Jackson Brown didn't have a teenage daughter in the early 70s, but that's how I interpreted it. And now it takes on a whole nother level of meaning, knowing that I'm going to be having a daughter. So um, that those lyrics, I've always liked them. And now they're especially special to me. And then my real quick, as you go to that, um, congratulations to you and Whitney. I'm really excited. Thank for you. you. We're very excited. And I very much agree with the um, the song will have a meaning to the person who wrote it. But the whole point, especially if there's um, an open ended feeling to the lyrics, which is the case with a lot of these they get to mean what they mean to you. They get to mean what they mean to the listener. And that's what makes a good song really. And I think Jackson would agree with that. I don't think he would go like arguing with someone about their understanding of his song. My number one choice was from uh, fountain of sorrow, which was the lines you were turning around to see who was behind you. I took your childish laughter by surprise at the moment that my camera happened to find you. There was just a trace of sorrow in your eyes. Um, I don't really have anything to say about those lyrics. I just think they're fucking perfect. It's a, and it's a really good, like the, the opening of that song is like, I was looking through, through some photographs I found inside a drawer. And so you like, you're not only hearing about that image and that photo in that moment, you're picturing a person holding that photo and looking at it and thinking about that. It's like, it's layered in, in its meaning description of a moment. And I, concur with that yeah and it's it's like what really good fiction i think is supposed to do which is bring to the front of your mind thoughts that you didn't know that you had and in this case it's like i have seen a picture of someone who was snapped just like a second too soon or a second too late for them to put on their sort of picture face and you see you can get a kind of glimpse into their actual state of mind their state of being and you know he he managed to sum all of that up and all of that feeling and experience in just, you know, a couple lines. Yeah. That that photo, if anything, has more meaning because it was taken before you could like like you said, put on your I'm gonna be in a picture face. 
Absolutely. Okay. So now where we go with this is to our favorite Jackson Brown song. Um, the, a quick setup for this is I made, I've kind of, I think I've passively mentioned it in some episodes. I'll share it. I'll tweet it out and put a link to it in the description of this one. But I made a like bracket of Jackson Brown songs. It has four, like imagine March Madness. Imagine they rank four sets of teams, seed one through 16. Um, I did that with a bunch of Jackson Brown songs. Ryan kind of helped me um, put some second eyes on it and uh, check some of my my biases probably. And then I pitted them all against each other in like a bracket that you could like go through and decide like, all right, running on empty is a one seed. I'm a Patriots, a 16 seed. Which one wins? And send them through. Um, so <laughs> it's really just absolutely what you should. I can't believe you didn't even put walking slow. <laughs> Well, so I didn't put walking slow on the the bracket. My rationale, that is a good example of my my personal bias probably, but where I'm coming from, I like walking slow, but I I every other song from Late for the Sky is on there and I like wanted to like I was trying to take a sampling, but me not putting walking slow on there uh if that angers you, then that's just a good entry into the process of trying to do this bracket because it's going to anger you like 15 more times as you do it because you're basically taking pieces of art, pitting them against each other and trying to like, like continuously uh, do that until you end up at a winner, which is quote unquote, your favorite song. Obviously you don't have to do that to pick out your favorite Jackson Brown song. And you don't even have to have a favorite song in the first place, but we did it. And um, I'm not, I don't want to run through the whole entire bracket. I'd rather people just like, if the, if they're interested in doing that, they should do it. But um, we can kind of go from that introduction to our favorite song any way we want. Like if you want to, I want to meet the person who's angry about the exclusion of of walking slow. If it, you said if you're angry about that, I, and I, I my next thought was I, that Ryan wants to meet you. <laughs> you want to start a side podcast that yeah. slams this podcast so after the after the deluge podcast. As people listen to this, you should know like. I don't know how it works with you, but like I know what my favorite Jackson Brown song is, and that's the song that won this. I di- I enjoy the exercise of running these things through the bracket just for fun, and it makes me think about the songs and stuff. Um, so what we get to as our favorite songs, these are our f- actual favorite songs. They're not just like, oh, wow, a real sleeper won my bracket. <laughs> these are our actual favorite songs. This is like a real actual conversation about our favorite songs. But were there any like moments in that bracket that we're like, how- I don't know how am I going to pick between these two songs? This is horrible. Yeah, the, the definitely the main, and I sort of cheated at mine um, because right off the bat in, in the first um, sort of category, there's the late show and our lady of the well as a seven ten matchup. And um, I would put both of those in my top four Jackson Brown songs. And I still wanted to do that. And so I just moved Our Lady of the Well down to uh, the second bracket <laughs> where there was less songs that I was um, sentimental about. I would also say in general that any of the sort of final four of my songs, um, I, if, if, if on any given day, they could be my favorite Jackson Brown song. I don't know that there is one definitive. This is this is the, my favorite Jackson Brown song. Do you, what, what were those four for you? Do you have those? Oh, you, yeah, I'm looking at my bracket right now. The four were The Late Show, um, Late for the Sky, 
Fountain of Sorrow and Our Lady of the Well with um, Late for the Sky being the ultimate favorite. I could go with any of those as you commented before it's very heavy on side a of the album late for the sky the late show is actually whitney and i's um song that's our whatever you want to like not our wedding we didn't listen to it at our wedding but that's just like our song so i'm very sentimental cool. about that one um dr my eyes will always be uh a favorite of mine um i don't think i talked about on on have you talked before about our aborted um, Jackson Brown self-titled podcast? I don't think we talked about that. I don't think I have. Yeah, we did like a we did like a pilot test that could have been the real one, but uh, the neighbor ended up over here with kids running around. Uh, we were both talking into one microphone. Um, I think I had like two or three beers during it, and so it was like really really good for like getting like sea legs for these this kind of conversation and it was a valuable thing in the process of creating this podcast but not up to snuff for being the debut episode something about just having a random neighbor kid without his shirt off the entire time just sullied the whole thing (laughs) but (laughs) i think i told i talked about on that one my my initial exposure to jackson brown was hearing a small snippet of the song doctor my eyes on one of those late night like 100 disc cd like best songs of the 70s infomercials and i remember i would always try to catch that infomercial if it came on i think i i, I don't know why i didn't just like go on napster and download the song or something but that was my initial exposure to jackson brown i'll always remember that and doctor my eyes will always have it special place in my heart um the other, the other dif- especially difficult first initial matchup in the fourth section bracket was a child in these hills versus under the falling sky as a seven ten matchup and those are also two of my favorite songs something i've enjoyed like like you just talked about that very very specific connection to doctor of my eyes that you just described is like transitioning into the 80s and moving into these later albums there are there are people who came to jackson brown through those through songs on those albums and they have that same exact connection that you're talking about and it's a good reminder to like i've actually had a couple of these conversations already and it's a really good reminder to like it's paving a road for me to walk down and and love those songs myself in ways that i hadn't in the past and i there's just a song is a song on its own and can be looked at that way. But a song is also a thing that you connect with in a personal way. And so the circumstances around that also play into how that song's going to stick with you. You know, that also makes me kind of sad. It makes me sad to think about all of the songs. It's like trying to read catcher in the rye in your 30 and you shouldn't, you just, at that point you shouldn't because it's going to be lost on you if you're not like 15 years old and reading it. And it's just, I think about the whole galaxy of songs that I like missed my opportunity with them or, or, you know, maybe they could have been something to me, but it's, you know, there still will be more, but there's, there's gotta be a ton that it's just too late. 
I, ha- I have that experience with somehow as a kid, I never saw The Princess Bride. And and so as an adult, I watched The Princess Bride. I get that The Princess Bride is a very good movie. That It's a good movie. I watch it. I like it. I'm entertained by it. No hate mail come at me, please, about me like slandering Princess Bride. I know it's good. But the connection people who saw that people who saw Princess Bride as a kid have with that movie is way beyond the way I feel about it. I know. And I know that's the case. Like, yeah, that's the whole process of watching like movies you love from your childhood with your kid. And you're like, oh, Space Jam's not really that good. (laughs) (laughs) You just you just you were the perfect person at the perfect time to watch Space Jam when you watched it. And so like to that end, so to get to my favorite song to to sort of wind this conversation down, mine at the moment uh, this has changed multiple times over over my life. I, like at a certain point it was something fine, at a certain point it was ready or not. Um at a certain point it was late for the sky, but my favorite song, my favorite Jackson Brown song is the song Farther On, which is also what's interesting is like three of your four top four are on side a of late for the sky. This is also on side a of late for the sky. And it's not one of the three that you have. Um, but farther on is like uh, part of, I think what did it is there's this Jackson Brown documentary I've talked about on multiple episodes of this called going home, the kind of early in the documentary moment where they like the documentary spends most of its time in kind of specific moments and, and sort of organic conversations. And I had a interview with a guy who, was one of the interviewers on that documentary in that's going to be in one of the upcoming episodes and it's all kind of loose, but the one song that they use for the like montage, like we're going to cover a lot of ground type montage and look back and there's a lot of photos and black and white photos and they use the song farther on. And like, it's, I know for a fact that part of the reason this song like kind of like became so important to me later on, I think that, that part of that documentary really like it got me and it's just an incredible song. And farther on is like, I'm a pretty uncertain person. It's like a, it's a characteristic I have that I think the good side of it is the good side of it is that like, I'm not inclined to become like a know-it-all blowhard. I don't want to be that. I don't like that. And being unsure of things is like a good recipe for not becoming that. But also it's kind of nice to like, make a concrete decision and jam forward with it. And I'm less inclined to do that. And this song farther on is basically like, it's an uncertain, it's an uncertain person. that's just like moving forward and feeling things out and assessing things as, as, as the moments roll out. Also in that documentary, there's a there's a quote where they talk to Jackson Brown. He talks about like, uh, I have it in front of me. Life is full of pain, and basically, sometimes the only way like the only way through it is through it. You just got to go through it. It's very simple, but like that really, it's really as simple as that. And um, farther on, I think gets at it, and it's so it's 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 more alluding to imagery and kind of like 
vague, almost spiritual feeling things than concrete, specific, like tangible human details. But it it just it does its job so well for me. That was that was beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 summed it up really well. Like so, you have farther on, late for the sky, ready or not, and these days. Yeah, these days is another example of like early connection to Jackson Brown. It's kind of that's another one that I would say at some point was my favorite song. I I but I would have not guessed ready or not as the final final four. I there's a thing that I respect about ready or not. That is like, I've listened to my a fair amount of like indie music or quote unquote, like cool music. And there's an inclination in that kind of scene. It's, it's easy to hide behind poetry that can't be totally understood. And Jackson Brown writes in that way plenty, but ready or not is just like, it's just a guy, he's just laying it out and it's a little bit funny and it's a little bit, it just to me feels like a very genuine song that is, he pulls off so well. And it also just has a good groove and feel and it it doesn't feel too heavy, but it also is making you think about life, especially life transitioning from childhood to adulthood and fatherhood and all that. I'll also throw out there that Today, my four-year-old son decided that his favorite song was You Love the Thunder as we were listening to it, driving in the car. Take that for what you will. Give him give him the bracket and just let him circle whatever he wants on there. See what see where he ends up. <laughs> he, would be, he would probably have some pretty strong opinions. He's a big shaky town guy. That's my kind of guy. Well, cool. This was fun. Um, I was glad to... It was nice to just have a loose, open conversation about this guy and his music. and. Um, the conversation last week about holdout was I think of a super valuable, cool, interesting conversation, but a, it was a little bit more of like a heavy scrutinizing look. And so it was fun to just kind of think, yeah, think about the things we love in this music and look forward. And I recorded the, the lawyers in love episode yesterday and had a super cool conversation that really actually opened my eyes to a lot on that album and Jackson Brown's music that follows that I think, uh, if you've come this far in this podcast, I think you're going to love going forward to those albums, even if you're less familiar with them. I know I've enjoyed exploring them. Thank, thanks for having me, and thanks for doing this podcast. Thanks for the support. Good talking to you. Maybe we'll uh, do a post-mortem after the whole thing, after we get through the final albums and stuff. With Jackson Brown. <laughs> nice. Hey, Jackson Brown, do you, do you remember when you said when you see through love's illusion, there lies a danger. Is that true? Oh God. <laughs> one of the guys I talked to in for one of the future episodes is like, he's talked to a lot of musicians. He's interviewed a lot of musicians and stuff. And he's like, like, man, like you talk to like Bob Dylan, you like ask them a question. And you're just like, these people are just, they're still asking me about like, are you glad you went electric and shit? It's like, what? <laughs> who cares like how do you possibly care what what are we doing here all right ryan thanks so much uh enjoy your long weekend between the darkness on the street and the houses filling up with light thanks for listening to that and thanks again to ryan for joining me had a lot of fun um if you have your own opinions about this kind of stuff feel free to 
Um, find me on Twitter at CoxJustin, C-O-X-J-U-S-T-I-N, or send me an email at JustinCox22 at gmail.com. I've enjoyed talking to people throughout all of this. As I alluded to earlier, the next albums are kind of different than a lot of the ones we've talked about. And if you've basically worn out the grooves on the first five or six Jackson Brown albums, but haven't fully dipped into the ones that come later... I think this is a good chance to do it, and I think the people I speak with will help you, help guide you through that. I know they have for me, and I'm really thankful for that. It's been cool. So, see you next week. We're talking about Lawyers in Love and Somebody's Baby, which came out around the same time and was at one point possibly going to end up on that album, but didn't. So, come back and hear about that. Thanks. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.